Well, let's take our Bibles, turn over to John chapter number 3 this morning. John chapter number 3. I'm so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ. And over and over, over the past couple weeks, as I was praying towards service today, I could not get past the simple subject matter of it's still all about Jesus. And just making sure our focus is on Him. I get tired of hearing a lot of other things taking place in the world. Can you imagine if we had the news media that just went 24-7 talking about Jesus? Wouldn't that be okay? And... Uh, People say, well, they believe all the news media and they believe everything they read online. I'm thinking, pick up a Bible and read that. If you believe everything you read, then, uh, then get a Bible, start reading that and, uh, and believe what you read. But uh, I'm so thankful. Listen, this ought to be a place we come together, open up the Word of God and, and speak about Jesus. If you found John chapter 3, if you're able and willing to, let's stand together. We're going to begin reading in verse number 27. John chapter 3 and verse number 27, and we'll just read down through the end of the chapter. John three twenty-seven. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. And verse number 30 is our text, but he must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthy and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath sent to his seal that God is true. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? And boy, I'm so thankful for scriptures like this that we can look at. And I'm going to come back and preach on it's still all about Jesus. And look at verse number 30 here. He must increase, but I must decrease. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. And Lord, we're thankful that we can read it. I'm thankful that we can meditate upon it, and I'm thankful for the difference that it makes in our hearts and lives. And Lord, I pray that it would do just that this morning. And Lord, that Jesus Christ would be exalted, glorified, and lifted up and magnified in each and every one of our hearts and lives more than what He was this morning when we woke up. Now, have your will and way now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. To set the context of Scripture here, John chapter 3, of course, if you spend much time in church or reading the book of John, you know that at the beginning of chapter 3 is when Nicodemus came to the Lord Jesus and asked him that wonderful question 
about we know thou art a teacher come from God. No man can do these miracles except God be with him. And Jesus responded with that wonderful statement where he said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then the Lord Jesus goes into this discourse of knowing the difference between that which is of the earth and that which is spiritual. We even read some of the verses at the end of the scripture that that he which is from heaven speaks things that are heavenly. He that is of the earth speaks earthly things. And uh, I'll just take a time out right here and say, you know, you can tell a lot about a person by their manner of speech. If they're always talking about things here on this earth, maybe their roots are down a little bit too deep. And uh, knowing that we have heaven that's waiting for us. Well, then we have that wonderful, well-known verse in the Bible that most memorize, starting all the way back at the kindergarten and Sunday school and junior church, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Lord Jesus continues His discourse showing the difference between eternal life and eternal condemnation. But then we have entering the scene here, we have a man named John the Baptist who his disciples come to him and start saying, hey, there's this other man that's, that's preaching and teaching and there's multitudes that are gathering around him. And John the Baptist does what every one of us ought to do when someone tries to make those comparisons and someone tries to cause those divisions between it. John the Baptist simply steps in and says, listen, you know that I've said this. I'm not the Christ. And boy, it'd be wonderful if some even in our religious realms and even across our nation today would understand and come to the realization that, hey, they're not Jesus. And they're not the Messiah. And they're not, they're not the one that's going to be the Savior of the world. And John the Baptist is reminding these disciples here saying, listen, I've told you this. I'm not the Christ. In fact, I come before him and I'm just proclaiming him. I'm just telling people about him. And he uses this comparison. And I'm wondering if they were saying, why are you so happy? Why are you so joyous? And he gives them the reminder of what we just had a couple days ago of the bridegroom and then the friend of the bridegroom. That the bridegroom is, he, he's all excited, but the friend of the bridegroom, he's not the one getting married, he's not the one getting the wife, he's not the one with a life-changing decision, but he's happy for the bridegroom. He's rejoicing for him just at the sound of his voice. He's happy for him, and that's what John the Baptist is saying about Jesus. Listen, I'm not him, but I'm rejoicing because I know him. And I'm rejoicing that I get to tell other people about him. And I pray in our hearts and lives, listen, it might do some of us good to realize you're not Jesus either. And you're not God. You're not the one that, that listen, has to control everybody else around you, okay? Hey, listen, I have enough of an issue taking care of the person I looked at in the mirror today. And then I'm responsible to get up and preach the word of God. But what you do with that, listen, in the quietness of your home and your car, I'm not the Holy Spirit of God to come say, hey, you got to be living this certain way. No, I'm just, I'm just rejoicing that I know who the bridegroom is. 
I'm rejoicing that I know who Jesus is and I'm just going to be telling others about him. Hey, I know him. And I'm thankful for that. And he makes this great statement here in verse number 30. And may I remind us that what was written down almost 2,000 years ago in John chapter 3 in verse number 30, he must increase, but I must decrease, is just as real and true today as it was 2,000 years ago. You say, well, I don't, I don't read that Bible. I want to be able to read a book that's relevant today. I'll say this, there hardly hasn't been a page that I've looked at that isn't just as relevant for today and what we have in the Word of God. Now, as I looked at this and what John the Baptist was saying, he was dealing in a very physical sense here, saying, listen, I am here to be able to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to lift Him up, and in that process of Him increasing, I must decrease. But I started looking at the scriptures and can I remind us that there are a few things throughout the scripture and we look at the the exaltation of the Lord Jesus, there's a few things he's already exalted in. I thought as we look through the scriptures and I'll just give these and then share a few more thoughts this morning, I thought, listen, he's already exalted in the salvation that he provides. The salvation that Jesus provides, you say, what do you mean? Well, I just quoted to us John 3.16. Do you know there's not another religion? There's not another God with a little g? There's not another prophet around this world that offers the assurance of an eternal salvation. There's not a one. The Bible says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The verse before that, John 3.15, says, For whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. There's not another prophet that's ever walked the face of the earth that can compare to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the salvation that is offered. We're reminded over in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 3, he says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? You say, well, what do you mean about this differences in salvation? Well, let me put it plain to you that the salvation that the Lord Jesus Christ offers because he died on the cross, paid for our sin, was buried, and rose again the third day. Listen, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for every one of our sins for all of eternity. Every one of them. I'm thankful for times we can go before the Lord and yes, we continue to sin and we ought not to excuse that in our lives. But he's given us an avenue to be able to confess them and to be able to repent of those and be able to forsake those and to be able to turn away from them. But I am as eternally saved right now as I ever will be. Jesus died once for the sins of the entire world and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Can I remind us that we're not going to show up one day at the pearly gates just and Peter's not going to meet us there. I know that's all how all the jokes start, doesn't it? So I had, I had this joke. I, I showed up at the pearly gates and Peter was there and said, okay, I got three questions for you to be able to ask. You know, come. That's not how it's going to take place. 
We're not going to get to the pearly gates and, and have Peter there with a scale to be able to weigh out how many good works and how many bad works we did. And maybe just in fact, if our good works outweighed our bad, then maybe he'll let us in. That's not what the Bible teaches. Can I say the salvation that Jesus has provided for us? Listen, it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But according to his mercy, he saved us. Paul said it best over in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And boy, I'm thankful for the salvation that Jesus offers. Listen, he's already exalted in the salvation he offers. Nobody else even comes close to him. You say, well, pastor, you're just saying that because this is a Baptist church and you're preaching from the Bible. You're exactly right, I'm preaching from the Bible. And you can take some other of man's books and they can try to say you have to fulfill all of these things in order to get to heaven and you might be able to have a chance to be able to get there. The Word of God is the only one that gives us 100% assurance that we have it today. And I'm not waiting with uncertainty to find out whether I've done enough good to be able to get there. You say, well, preacher, I believe I can just do enough of my good works. And I'll just ask you this, just like you've asked people and I've asked several other people, if my good works get me access to heaven, then why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Why did he have to do that? Why did he have to suffer? Why did he have to be whipped and beaten, tormented, have his beard plucked out of his face, a crown of thorns pressed down upon him, whipped with a cat of nine tails? Why did he have to be crucified and nailed to a cross and publicly ridiculed and embarrassed and mocked and gone through all of that if my good works will get me to heaven? Because the answer is my good works don't get me to heaven. And Jesus had to die on the cross. And we had to accept, boy, the exaltation of Jesus is the salvation that he provides. But then can I remind us that Jesus is already exalted in the name that he's been given. Remember what the Bible says over in Philippians chapter number 3? Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. Excuse me, chapter number 2. That at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth, things under the earth. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hey, listen, he's already been given a name that's above every name. And that's because of what he went through on the cross of Calvary for each and every one of us. You say, well, how much higher can he be lifted up? Hey, listen, Jesus is already exalted. You say, well, what was John the Baptist saying then? He must increase. Listen, he's exalted in the salvation that he provides. He's exalted in the name that he's been given. But can I say this? He's exalted in the scriptures that he's given also. Psalm 138, verse number 2 says, For I will worship toward thy holy temple. Praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Boy, the scriptures that's been given to us. You say, oh, pastor, that's just another book. Oh, I beg to differ with you. That's why, and probably on yours and, and on mine, a lot of times mine's been wore out here, but well, you can still see it on the side. It says, holy Bible. 
because there's just something about this. Hey, listen, we've seen this book right here be able to take an old drunkard and be able to sober him up. We've seen this book and the principles of what Jesus does be able to take an old drug addict and be able to get him down where he's supposed to be and be able to make a difference in his life. We've been able to see this book be able to take a husband and wife that are estranged from each other and be able to unite them and to be able to put them back together and by God's grace be able to save a family and to be able to save a marriage and be able to save a community. The scriptures that have been given, listen, it's still... It's still the number one bestseller around the world. Still, of the one book that people desire to buy around this world, it's none other than the Holy Scriptures of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm saying, boy, what a blessing. And we have it. We have it. Listen, you might be scrolling it on your device. You might be reading it. And some some are coming into church and they're not carrying their Bible. They're carrying it on their device. You know why? Because this print's gotten too small for them. Where's Mike Nagley? Is he sitting in here? He might be downstairs. He said, I do that. He said, I can put it up there about a 25 on my phone. He said, and I can read it down there. And there's there's a different, but listen, number one seller, it's all over the place. It's amazing how the Lord Jesus has exalted his scriptures. These are things that are already done. These are not things that we must do for Him. He's already provided salvation. His name is already given to Him. The Scriptures have already been given to Him. But yet, John the Baptist still makes the statement here in verse number 30. He must increase. You say, well, how can he? Can I say this with that word, must? We see the expression that is an imperative. You understand an imperative? It's a command. It's something that has to happen. This word must, there is no option that is given here. There's no way out. This is not a suggestion to be given. This is a command to be enacted. And John the Baptist is telling those that are around him, saying he, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, must increase. And may I say this, here in our nation, in our state, with things that are taking, around, taking place around us, you know what will make a difference in this world around us? Jesus. Jesus. It's time for someone to stand up and be able to say, listen, that's wrong according to Jesus. That's not right. We need to exalt Jesus, what John the Baptist is saying here. And listen, if we're exalting Jesus in all this, you say, well, how can I do that? Well, I believe it comes back to our personal lives. I believe in our personal lives, it is imperative that we increase and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, how do we do that? Let me remind us about Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 33. Remember what Jesus said there? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. That context of Scripture is dealing with all the material possessions that were around them, talking about all the the, the clothing and the raiment and the houses and the land, all these things around. He says, but listen, You need to seek first Jesus. His righteousness, the kingdom of God, all these things shall be added unto you. And I thought, listen, in our lives, what if the number one priority is Jesus was increasing and for His honor and glory is what we were striving for in our lives? 
His honor and glory that we were saying, hey, he must increase. We need to make much of Jesus. Listen, it's out here on our wall when you walk in there before you come into the auditorium. Some of you probably never saw that, and it's been there since we opened up the auditorium. Up over those doors right there, it says, making much of Jesus. You say, where'd you get that? We got that from our church down in Tennessee that we were members of, Shenandoah Baptist Church down there in Cleveland, Tennessee. You walked in there, and listen, in bigger letters than that, it was across that back wall, said, making much of Jesus. You know where it came from? John chapter 3 and verse number 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. You understand when we start pushing someone else up, it usually starts lowering ourselves. As we're increasing the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, all His glory as we would do things throughout life. And I wonder this week if we've lived our lives for our glory or for His glory. I wonder if we've done things that we can come to the end of the week and be able to say, hey, look at all the things that I've done. Look at all the things that I've accomplished. Or have we lived our lives to be able to point glory to the Lord Jesus Christ? You know what the difference is? He's worthy of it, we're not. He's worthy of it. His glory, He must increase. That means we are pushing Him up and allowing people to be able to see Him more than they see us. It is for His glory. But then can I also say this? It's for His will to be accomplished in our lives. Not only are we supposed to reflect the Lord Jesus, and let me remind us of this back in um, Acts chapter number 11, I believe it is, is when the saved people there at Antioch, where they were first called Christians. Do you understand that those were non-church people that called them Christians? You know why that is? Because they said everything we've heard about this Jesus and this Christ that was crucified, you remind us of Him. I don't even believe that it was a very good um, uh, term of endearment to them. Maybe to them it was, but not to the world. Of saying, oh, you're a Christian. And today it's gotten to be about that. Oh, you step up and say, oh, you ought not to be doing that. We need to bring glory to Christ. Oh, you're one of those Christians. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Hey, listen, I have no problem whatsoever if they can argue and do all they can down at the state house and they have no problem with labels that are being given to them, then it's about time a Christian stands up and say, listen, this isn't how Christians ought to be acting. And to be able to make a difference there for His glory and His will that has taken place. He reminds us in the next chapter, actually John chapter 4, He reminds us down around verse number 35 that He says to His disciples to lift up their eyes and to look on the fields for they are white already to harvest. You say, what do you mean? Well, He had just reminded them, listen, I have meat to eat of that you know not of. In other words, Jesus was so interested in people that were around him that he didn't have time to be able to take and eat of food that they brought to him. And he said, listen, I want you to look at souls and people the same way that Jesus is. Lift up your eyes and look. Listen, it's in our hearts and lives we ought to be exalting Christ. How much have we done this week? Yes, to be able to increase ourselves when really what we ought to be doing is making it more about Jesus in our lives. 
How long has it been since we thanked Him more and more for the blessings that we have? How long has it been since we, we glorified Him because of any good thing that's in our lives? Listen, we don't deserve any of it. Hey, I, I could go down through an entire list of things I'm thankful for this morning. I've prayed some of them. I've vocalized some of them this morning. I'm thankful to live in America. I'm thankful that we have the freedom right now, right now, to be able to walk in these doors on a Sunday morning. Now listen, be able to open up the Word of God without fear of persecution or government coming after us or imprisonment. We've got the freedom to be able to do it today. We've got the freedom to bow our heads and pray and to be able to pray out loud without fear of who's going to be hearing us because it's not against the law. Boy, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for those. Listen, some are not in our services today because they're out on drill this weekend that are preparing and fighting right now for the freedoms that we hold dear to us. Listen, this is not in and of ourselves, but it's about bringing glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ought to be thanking God and making much of Jesus for what He's given to us in our lives. But you know something? I found out this. In order for us to be able to exalt Jesus, there has to be a willing humility in our hearts to be able to do so. How many have ever, and, and, and don't raise your hands and don't speak out, don't even nod your heads because I'll, I'll, I'll know who it is. Credit starts being given for a job well done and they name someone else and you full, fully know that it was you that did it. And boy, doesn't that flesh just swell up inside of us and we want to be able to say, hold on a minute. They didn't have anything to do with that. How many of you have ever bit your tongue and just said it doesn't matter? The job got done. The job got done. I was told this years ago. I was told this, and I've tried to remember it, that a leader always takes less credit than what they deserve and more blame than what they deserve. You know how that flesh just gets up inside of us. We're not the best people, are we, at willing humility. Now, sometimes there's false humility, and we'll tell everybody about it. Well, you know how humble I am? I mean, just talk to me. I'll tell you about it. I wrote the book on humility. Pre-autographed every one of them because I knew they'd want it. We're not real good at willing humility, but do you understand the heart attitude? Listen, Let's go back to John chapter 3 now and understand this man that is making the statement. Do you understand there was a man sent from God whose name was John and he came and had a message that was put in his heart simply to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. At this point, John had baptized more than anybody else of his time. John had bigger crowds than anybody of his time. And then all of a sudden, someone else comes on the scene. And as soon as Jesus shows up for the first time, John takes a moment and points everybody to Jesus. 
He's standing there at the Jordan River and as soon as Jesus is coming down, John stops the entire thing, gets the entire congregation, points them to Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And then over the course of the next few weeks, we know that Jesus' ministry is beginning to rise. He he goes and spends the time in the wilderness. He's tempted. He comes back after 40 days, calls his disciples, and now all of a sudden the crowds are going like this. Now all of a sudden, hey, John's not out there healing people. John's not out there raising the dead. All John was doing is preaching a message. Hey, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He wasn't even a well-dressed preacher, by the way. What would y'all have thought if you walked in here this morning? Y'all probably would have turned around and run if you walked in here and saw me dressed like what, how John the Baptist was. I mean, just in a leather girdle, and I'm up here eating locusts. I mean, locusts and wild honey. That's what, that's what John ate. I mean, that's what, that's what Bible is. Can you imagine showing up here, Brother Chamberlain, sitting down here saying, yeah, I would have turned around. If that's the uniform for that church, I'm not going there, okay? We're not getting there. Hey, listen, the crowd started going like this, and all of a sudden Jesus starts getting a bigger crowd than what John the Baptist. And now John the Baptist says, listen, he must increase, but I must decrease. In other words, for this world, now understand this, for this world to see more of Jesus... They're going to have to see less of us. That means our conversations that we have with people. I read a statement this week as I was preparing and studying. read a statement this week that a man said and is very convicting. He said, why don't we try to have conversations? He said, when we're talking to people out here in this world outside the church, he said, why don't we uh, try to have conversations, majority of which are about things that's only going to matter a thousand years from now. Boy, it was convicting of how much time we spend and talk about everything else. And in a lot of cases, if we'll think back over our conversations, boy, we're real good at exalting ourselves, aren't we? But when's the last time we said, I just want people to be able to see more of Jesus than they see of me? And John the Baptist, one of the most popular preachers of the day, now listen, his popularity wore out real quick. Especially when he looked at Herod, and said, hey, what you're doing is sin. Can you imagine looking at the political leader and saying, hey, it's not right what you're doing. It's not right. As soon as Herod got the opportunity, listen, went to the prison there and actually beheaded him and brought John the Baptist's head in on a silver charger and presented it there at a party. And I thought... Boy, that's decreasing, isn't it? But his whole message was about exalting Jesus. And I thought, I wonder in our hearts and lives, listen, our lives, he must increase, but I must decrease. There needs to be a willing and a voluntary humility. Now, I'm not talking about we get to the point of beating ourselves with the the sticks and the rods and the branches. I'm not talking about that type of humility But I am reminded, and let me just read these verses to you, what the Bible says over in the book of James. You know these verses, uh, James chapter 4 and verse number 6, what the Bible says, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, 
but giveth grace unto the humble. God doesn't like pride. Brother Van Horn, um, missionary here with us today, he quoted it in, in Sunday school this morning over in Proverbs chapter number 6. The first thing that God hates is a proud look. Now listen, if we're so full of ourselves and so puffed up with pride, the last thing we're going to do is try to exalt Jesus and allow them to be able to see Jesus in us. We understand what 1 Peter chapter 5 says. I'll read this to us. We love chapter 5, verse number 7, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. But verse number 6 says this, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. It wasn't intentional, but it seemed like through Sunday school, he brought a lot of things and dealt with the military. We have the general here with us today. I've thought about several things. I've thought about, and I never went into the military. If there was one thing that if God were to allow me to live my life over, I got out of Bible college, went right into ministry. But I thought if I could have had a few years there to be able to serve our nation. But I thought, you know, I've heard the, the accounts of those young men that get off the bus and they're full of pride, full of themselves, and they're going to teach the drill instructor something. They're going to teach. You're chuckling too. You've gone to battle with them, haven't you? They just know everything. And it's all of a sudden, all of a sudden they get humbled a little bit. You know what I've found out in each and every one of our lives? If it would be more of a voluntary humility... And be able to say, Lord, I'm not just doing this to lower myself, but the entire purpose of this is, listen, I'm going to humble myself so that I can exalt Jesus. When's the last time we made our lives about Him? That Listen, there's not a one of us today that have the status of what John the Baptist had. There's not a one of us. Listen, I'm not the forerunner to the Lord Jesus that God gave the message to to be able to go out and be able to proclaim, hey, the Messiah is coming. Here He is. Behold the Lamb of God. God didn't give a physical message to be able to do that. I've got the message today. But I will say this, even John the Baptist, greatest preacher of his day, until Jesus showed up, said He must increase, but I must decrease. I wonder if God would allow us to be able to see the exalted Jesus in the salvation that he provides, the name that he's been given. Listen, we need to make more about Jesus in our lives than what we are right now. We need to understand of who he is. He is the one that's the King of kings and the Lord of lords that's coming back. He's the one that we're going to be standing before. He's the one that's going to rule and reign during this millennial reign for a thousand years. He's the one that's going to be doing that. And he's the one that we get to call our personal Lord and Savior. Now listen, you may be here today and you don't know anything about the salvation that I've mentioned about. You're trying to do all your good works. You're trying to to be part of a church. You're trying to fulfill all these things when the Lord Jesus Christ is simply saying, listen, I've already paid for that sin. Already paid for it. The Lord Jesus is saying, listen, he said it over in John chapter 4. I'll just read it to us. He said that whosoever drinketh of the water that he gives will never thirst. That means Jesus gives us something that satisfies us for all of eternity. 
And listen, if you cannot answer the question honestly, if you were to die today, do you have 100% assurance that you'd spend eternity with Jesus? 100% assurance. If you can't answer that yes without a doubt in your mind, can I say this? That's why Jesus died. He's the only one that can provide that for you. But Christians in our lives that we've accepted Christ, listen, if I drop dead, and I I pray that, listen, I pray you don't have to see that. Some preachers say that. Boy, I hope I die in the pulpit. I'm thinking, I don't want my people to realize that. Honestly, I don't don't want them to walk in church, I mean, the next week and say, that's where pastor died. I mean, I, I I don't want that to be inside the church, okay? I've heard that all my life. And I'm like, no, that's not what I want, okay? But if I were to draw my last breath, listen, I've got as much assurance right now that I'm with Jesus forever. I've got that assurance. If you don't have that today, listen, well, I'm so thankful Jesus has exalted. He's got salvation that's so great, nothing else compares to it. But Christians in our lives that know that we're saved, let me ask you something. If you had to try to put it on the scale and say, okay, is Jesus increasing and am I decreasing? The higher Jesus goes, the lower down I go. You might say, hey, I'm doing pretty good. I'm at 50-50 right now. That's not how it ought to be. It ought to be all about Jesus. Everything about Him. Is it truly the prayer and the attitude of our hearts? He must increase, but I must decrease.